Man, I tell you, there's nothing as vicious as camp meeting trash talk. It, it's just unbelievable how rough you guys are on each other. I'm just going to sit up here and mind my own business. How, how much effort do you put in getting ready for things? So, for instance, how much effort did you put in getting ready for this service tonight? Now, I'm looking out, and some of you made some effort. But the thing of it is, it's what kind of effort and what are we getting ready for? What are we getting ready to do? I mean, when we think about a moment like this, it's what's my expectations? Oftentimes, it's what are other people's expectations of me? I look back even on my dating career, which was brief and somewhat tumultuous. And I think, you know, if I had a date, I might have taken a shower to get ready for it. it, it, it if I had a date, I might get a shower that week. <laughs> and, and yet, when you come to somebody's wedding, and all of these people are in the wedding, now it's like crazy getting ready. I mean, we're paying lots of money to get ready. I always kind of find it interesting when I officiate weddings, they typically are about 20, 25 minutes, and I'm looking at poor dad of the bride. He had to do a lot to get that girl ready for that moment, and it was over, and you think, wow, put a lot of effort into that. What are the things that you put a great deal of effort into so that you're ready for them? You know, I find it interesting, it's an interesting question, you know, what are the things that are most important to me, and do I prepare when I go into those moments? I hope, for instance, a moment like this, I'm relatively prepared, uh, but, but what's more important to me than even studying for the sermon or preparing it or laying it out, it's being prayed up, prayed up for a moment like this. But men and women, there is an event that the Bible promises us is going to happen. And the question is, how much effort are we putting forth to get ready for that? Uh, for, for, for just to, make it, to just make it easy for you, we call it the second coming of Jesus Christ. And the question is, am I making any effort at all to be prepared for that moment? Am I making any effort at all to prepare other people in my life for that moment? And so tonight, I wanna talk to you about something that's, I think, pretty serious. And, and look, we live in a pretty serious world right now, and we are in serious times right now. When you look at all of the wars and rumors of wars, when you look at international pandemics, when you look at a, 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 an economic situation, not only in our country, but it's worse in other parts of the world. And you begin to pile it all up in your mind. Now, some might say, you know what, it's always been like that. And you'd be right partially. You know, there have always been these kind of things going on. Um, one little joke that this Honduran missionary gave to us one time when we were on a hike. And we were hiking to these waterfalls, and he said, it's just a little hike, and we were two hours into it. And I said, how much longer? He said, 10 minutes. I was like, oh, good. 30 minutes later, I asked him, how much longer? And he said, Steve, listen, we're closer than we've ever been. 
And, and, and honestly, it's, it might seem funny, but we have to recognize that we don't know the day or the hour, but listen, it's true, we're closer than we've ever been. And the question is, do I really believe that? Do I believe that enough to make sure I'm ready and the people around me at least, I've attempted to get ready for that? How firm is my faith in dealing with the daily realities that are said to transpire leading up to that moment when Jesus Christ returns? Do I really believe what this word says about it? So if you have a Bible or a Bible on your device, I'd like you to join me at 2 Thessalonians. 2 Thessalonians. Now, the whole letter is basically Paul telling those people they need to be ready. You need to be ready because he's coming. And, and so what does that mean for my life right now? I mean, s- some in this room are, are you know, uh, up there in years. You have a lot more experience than we do. And others in this room uh, just came into this world. And everything in between. And sometimes we think because this thing has not transpired when we see a lot of these signs happening that I've got time and it's all cool. And then we realize that Paul lays it out for the Thessalonian people, you have no way of knowing, so be ready. And so with that in mind, he talks about growing in faith and knowing the truth and standing for what is right. But tonight, men and women, I'm going to do what I told you the very first service we were together. I'm going to tell you something that you've heard a bazillion times. The question is, have you put it into practice in your life? Tonight, I want to talk to you about praying for power as you get ready for the second coming of Jesus. Now, just to make sure we do everything in context, that's always important to me. Bert said that this morning. Uh, Here are these Thessalonians who are facing some persecution for being believers in Jesus, for being Christ followers. And, And there is a political and religious situation there that makes it dangerous and hard to follow Jesus. Now, right there, you know, you talk about the context and you look out at a bunch of Americans underneath a psyker roof and you think to yourself, I don't see a boatload of persecution happening in this room. What does that have to do with me? <laughs> Bible tells us it's coming. It's coming in some form. It's already here for believers in other parts of the world. If you think that the American Christian experience is the only Christian experience, you need to pick up your news feed and, and subscribe to a few Christian international organiz- news organizations out there and find out what happens in the world. I'll tell you more about that in a minute. False teachers had been telling these people Jesus had already returned and they missed it. Wouldn't that be terrible? You know, you, you, you believed this, and all of a sudden some guy comes in to town on his donkey, and he tells you, hey, uh, yeah, he, he came back. You missed it. Too bad for you. Well, don't be fooled, he said, because he's still coming. And ready means in your spirit, you are taking that reality seriously, and you live like you believe it. And that brings us to 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. And I want to begin the reading in the first verse, and then, like I say, we'll we'll stop after a minute and try to unpack a little bit of what we read together. 
Finally, brothers, pray for us that the message of the Lord may spread rapidly and be honored just as it was with you. And pray that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men, for not everyone has faith. But the Lord is faithful, and he will strengthen and protect you from the evil one. We have confidence in the Lord that you are doing and will continue to do the things we command. May the Lord direct your hearts into God's love and Christ's presence. Now, now I'm going to stop right there because I just want to tell you what Paul's greatest concern for these people that he was writing this letter to is that they would give up on following Jesus due to the pressure to conform, the pressure to conform to government, the pressure to conform to social morals and changing values and the religious norms and even the pressure to succumb to the influence of your friendships. He could have written that right to all of you, right now. He's concerned about them bailing on this faith because the pressure is so great socially. And we need to be concerned about that as well. Pressure always comes. Pressure to compromise your values, pressure to assimilate into culture, pressure to live for pleasure instead of God's glory, to let challenging and difficult circumstances create within you fear that leads to doubt. Listen, men and women, I'm just here to tell you it's increasing all the time that people are looking at the Christian faith and they're either mocking it, ignoring it, or trying desperately to get the rest of culture to marginalize the Christian faith. You may not know that pressure is upon you, but it's here in our experience. And so where does the power to remain faithful and resist pressure come from? Paul says it's to pray. It's to pray. Now I say, hey, y'all, you need to pray And everybody kind of has their own perspective of that, or they kind of flip a switch. It's like, okay, sermon on prayer, heard that. Listen, you've got to stay with this in the context of being ready for the second coming of Jesus. Because this is what he tells them, that you need to pray for a powerful influence. Pray to be a powerful influence. He ends each of the three sections of his letter with a prayer. And this last section he opens with a prayer request. Clearly part of being ready for the return of Jesus Christ is the gift of and the act of praying. And his focus for their prayers is that the message of Jesus would spread rapidly and be honored among them and in their village or their city, in their community, in their world. And of course, when he wrote this, Paul thought Jesus would come back in his own lifetime. And so he was concerned about them because he felt like that moment was imminent. So he uses the word spread rapidly. Treche, it means to run toward something. 
the urgency of telling people about Christ was important to Paul and the possibility of his return coming sooner than later. And Franco helped us understand the importance of us exhaling on the world so that they know about this love of Christ. Urgency. What if this generation, your generation, is the generation that will see this moment happen? Now, I'm not here tonight to give you a, an outline of eschatology, and here are all the things that are going to happen, and woo-hoo, 2022, he's coming back probably in November. We're not going to do that, because that's not what he's saying. No, he's saying being ready isn't line it all up and make sure you know the day and then make sure you've got all your stuff sold uh, so that you'll get raptured up. No, no, he's saying you need to pray and pray hard to be ready for that moment. Now, does the church today pray like they believe it could happen in our lifetime? I ask myself that question all the time. Do I pray like that? Do you pray like that? Like what he says here is actually true? and I'm getting myself and others ready for it. We say we believe this, Jesus is coming back and we need to be ready, but can we, be, we can be so distracted in our lives with our toys and our pleasures and our activities and our wealth and our pain, and we can even be distracted with bad news. What distracts you? What is it that distracts you, that makes you want to do something else rather than praying to the Lord? When you know you need to, when you know that's the place to find power for your influence on the world. So Paul asked them to pray that the message of Jesus' salvation would spread, go from one person to another at lightning speed. Now even if he wasn't coming for thousands of years, People only have this window of opportunity to hear it, believe it, receive it, and allow it to bless their lives. So whether or not Jesus actually physically returns in your lifetime, there are people that you love in your lifetime that will ultimately pass away. And you have this tremendous opportunity to prepare them for that moment. But your influence is only empowered by prayer. Your, in, your ability to actually have this message of salvation by faith in Jesus Christ connect with their heart only happens through prayer. When I was a youth pastor over in Lancaster, um, we'd have these Sunday night things we called student impact, and the goal was for all of our students to invite their friends who didn't know Jesus so that they could hear the message, and we tried our best to communicate it in a way that they would listen to. And, and, I, and I was talking to our Christ-following students one night at a Bible study, and I said, hey, look, there's a statistic out by George Barna, this, this guy who does polling, and his polling shows that if you invite people to church or to a church event or a youth group meeting, one out of four people that you ask will say yes. Did you know that? One out of four people will say yes to you if you invite them to hear the gospel at your church. So there was a girl, there was a girl in my youth group, a high school girl, and, and she went home that night and she called four of her friends to come to Student Impact the next Sunday night, and they all turned her down. So she came to me and said, I don't think Barna's right. 
I called four people and none of them said yes. And I asked her if she did two things. I said, well, first of all, did you pray for all of them first? Did you pray for their heart and did you pray for God to soften their minds and make them open to you inviting them? And secondly, have you ever one time shared your story of coming to faith in Jesus with one of them? Have you ever told them your story? And she's like, no. And I'm like, okay, well, let me just challenge you. Do at least the praying part, but I'm asking you to also take a minute and just kind of tell them your story as to why you're inviting them to one of our student impacts. She did it. The next week, we were having a special outreach. She invited four, those same four friends the next week. And listen, men and women, every one of them came. Every one of them came. And she then understood that there was so much more to this than just statistics. No, what it's all about is us recognizing that if we're going to actually land this message on the hearts of people, we have to be empowered by his Holy Spirit through prayer. Spread rapidly and be honored, he said. Now, nothing empowers our influence more than the act of praying for the people we seek to influence. But there's more these Thessalonians needed to pray for and more we need to pray for as well. Uh, Go back to verse two. And pray that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men, for not everyone has faith, but the Lord is faithful, and he will strengthen and protect you from the evil one. See, not only are we praying that God would give us powerful influence, but we're praying also for powerful protection. Now, here's the thing. Um, We talk about protection, and we instantly go to the physical. Lord, surround them with your guardian angels. Give them traveling mercies. Lord, we pray that you'll help them in this surgery. And and it's like 90% of the prayer requests I get have something to do with the protection of or healing of the physical body. And and it's not that that's a bad thing. The Bible tells us to do that. Keep on. Keep on praying that. But when we talk about the protection of God, we're talking about something so much deeper and, and more important that lasts forever in you. Now, as I mentioned before, when we come to Syker, sometimes we come to Syker to rehear things to rehear things and take inventory, even if we will, about how well have I been living that out in my life and, and I needed to hear that again and be reminded of that. Well, it's inter- interesting that this can lead you to be encouraged, but also to be challenged. Or we've said it a few times in the sermons here, old school, we say to be convicted. We want our spirits to be talked to by the Holy Spirit, so that he awakens us to the areas of our life that we're missing it. You know, that God has offered us so many wonderful things that we've somehow set aside for other distractions. He's saying, look, now that you're here, now that you're back, thanks for coming. You obviously take this relationship with Jesus seriously. Who else would come in a 100-degree heat index and listen to this guy? But you're here because you care. And so because you care, and because Paul cared, he asked them to pray for him to be delivered and set free from wicked and evil men. 
Now why? Because he wants to continue his mission of spreading the good news of Jesus' love and forgiveness and salvation, and he needs to be free to move and speak in order to do that. That's the focus of his prayer. I don't know if you knew this or not about Paul, but he had a couple enemies. Okay, he had a boatload of enemies, many enemies, and his opponents not only of him, but of his faith, often wanted to stop his very effective and influential ministry. As a result, he asked for their prayers to keep him safe. Now, Remember, he actually had to escape pretty quickly from Thessalonica, if you've read that story in the book of Acts. If you haven't, I encourage you to go there and check it out again. And his enemies then sent a hit hit squad to Berea so that they could rough him up there and maybe actually end his ministry there. He had these people passionately pursuing him because they were enemies of our faith. His prayer request wasn't that he wouldn't, proper double negative, wasn't that he wouldn't face suffering, rather that he would be kept free to share Christ with people because he wanted everyone to be ready for his return. But his prayer in return to the Thessalonians was this, but the Lord is faithful and he will strengthen and protect you from the evil one. Now, the prayer for powerful protection went then beyond his physical safety, beyond his physical health, but also to the spiritual safety of the Thessalonian believers. I don't don't know if you fully understand or grasp the warfare that's going on for your mind and your spirit. I don't care how old you are. You know, we always want to lob our spiritual grenades at the schools, and, and rightly so. There's, there's absolutely some things that we need to be uh, praying for and, and aware of that are taught in all of our school systems. But sometimes we think that's where the only warfare is going on for our minds and hearts, and it isn't. The cultural pressure now is so great and you are under attack by the enemies of the gospel. And I'm not talking just about the people who are enemies. I'm talking about the actual enemy himself who is trying desperately to trip you up in your faith, causing you maybe to walk away from it. Our enemy is not only those who might want to harm us because we have a sincere faith in Christ. Our enemy is also the one who wants to cause distraction and division, and discouragement, and maybe even death over our desire to follow Jesus. Now, remember the purpose of the letter. You always have to keep that in mind as you're reading it. What was the purpose? To get these people ready for the second coming of Jesus. I'm going to ask you again. Do you believe that's true? If you believe the Bible is true, then you must believe that's true. And oftentimes, really, men and women, that's what it comes down to. Do I believe the Bible is true? Because if you don't, then all of this is just crazy to you, probably. I mean, you're you're probably thinking to yourself, that guy's a nutcase up there. But the reality is, we believe, we've come to the understanding that this is true and has been true for thousands of years. And that's why we want to be protected 
from the enemies it talks about who want to take over our spirit, dupe us, and cause us to trip up. So we pray not only for the physical protection of believers or ourselves in our community and around the world, but we also pray for the powerful protection of our own spirits as we face the subtle temptations and distractions of the enemy of our soul. Now look, I get it. I, I, can, I can sit in a hot evening tabernacle service like this and change channels a thousand times in my mind or maybe I say something and you park on that for a minute and that's a beautiful thing, do that. But I need you all to come back here and answer that simple question. Do I believe he's coming back? And if I believe that, am I praying that I'll be ready when he comes back? You know, it's interesting. I, I've done a lot of leadership training over the past 15 years, I think, in other parts of the world. And one of the places that I went, I'm not going to name it because we're live streaming and I don't want to put any of those people in danger. But one of those places we, we found that you are, you, no foreigner is allowed to do religious activity in this country. And so the pastor of this church there thought it'd be a great idea to bring this foreigner in and teach them Christian leadership principles and then stick around on Sunday and preach in his church. In his church, then, every Sunday, there are always secret police. And I'm thinking to myself, Lord, I, I feel called to this, but I'm not really sure you're speaking truth to the pastor right now. But, but I, I did it every time. And every time we got through it, and hundreds of people came to receive Christ as Lord in this dark nation. And, you know, the interesting thing about it was one Sunday, these three people come up on the platform because they were invited to because that Sunday they received Christ as Savior and they asked them all to just simply say their name and then what, what it was that happened to them today. And this, here's this guy in his, in his skinny jeans and black jacket and he stood there, they put the microphone in his hand and he said, um, tell me your name and what happened today. And the guy says his name and he says, I've killed many people, but today I found liberation from the guilt that I've experienced because of the deaths I've caused. Men and women, it was one of the secret policemen who found Christ that day. Here's the interesting thing. The last time we went to that country, we're coming through immigration and my training partner, Roger, gets pulled out. They want to uh, scan his suitcase. And here's the thing. First time, only time, would be the last time, because it's the last time we're going to be in the country, we were bringing in books written by the pastor of that church to be distributed all over the country. This was a little nerve-wracking. And so Roger goes where he's told, he puts his bag on the belt, and then we found out later that it was 5.30 in the morning back home, and Connie, one of the ladies of our church, was awakened from her sleep and felt like she needed to pray for Roger and me. It was the exact time Roger was pulled out of line. And as his bag went through the scanner, at that moment, 
the staff person who was looking at the screen was distracted by another staff person who needed a signature on something. And Roger's suitcase went through without that person ever seeing what was in it. Why? Why? I think because Connie faithfully prayed for our protection. Because Connie understood in that moment, I don't know, God, why you're waking me up to pray for Roger and Steve. They never had any problems before. But she prayed for our safety, and God heard that prayer. And those books have been distributed all over that country, and many more came to Christ that day. Now, I, I, I need to add to that story. I, I wasn't going to share it, but I need you to pray for that church. And I'm just going to tell you to pray for that church. The Lord knows that church. Because a year ago, the government came and locked the doors on their building. And listen, just in case you're wondering and maybe even complaining about the temperature tonight, uh, it's a Nordic area, and these people climb up an icy road to worship in the parking lot of that church every Sunday, rain, shine, sleet, or snow. They love the Lord. And they want to be ready for his coming. Please pray for my friends in that church. Now, maybe, yeah, let's do it now. Thank you. Let's do that. Lord Jesus, you know the pressure, the persecution, the suffering that our dear friends are facing each Sunday when they gather together. And we ask, O oh Lord, that you would indeed protect them and that in their gathering and their courage and their faith, we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would fill them with power to influence more and more of the men and women of their nation. They want nothing more than revival in their country for people to see you, know you, and love you. They want nothing more than to be great citizens of their nation. We pray, O oh God, you would protect them and use them mightily with your anointing. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for that. Keep praying. And yeah, I'm just thinking to myself, that, that was a great point. Maybe instead of defaulting to complaining and criticism about the things that you see going on around you, maybe your default should be to immediately pray for those circumstances and for the people who are impacted by those circumstances for believers facing intense pressure to give up. Pray for them in our greater purpose to honor Christ and to live holy lives. And when it's all said and done, Jesus returns and he finds you, old people. He finds you, young people. He finds all of us people ready because we brought our desire to be ready to him in prayer. But let me... See if I can get close to land in the plane here on verses four and five. We have confidence in the Lord that you are doing and will continue to do the things we command. May the Lord direct your hearts into God's love and Christ's perseverance. And that's it. I mean, that's really what we're talking about. Power to influence, powerful protection, and powerful perseverance. You see, earlier in 2 Thessalonians, Paul was writing about how we need to stand up in our life of sanctification. 
that we should not be ashamed of this, but we should walk as people who truly believe this, have experienced it, and actually enjoy living the life that it empowers us to live. But what became increasingly clear to these Thessalonians is that kind of standing up would be, they would, in standing up like that, they would be marginalized for their faith. And hey, you know what? We're social people, aren't we? We do not want to be shunned by our friends. We do not want our closest friendships or relatives uh, to cause us to be alienated by, because of anything. And so often we are afraid to stand up for who we are and what we believe. Not in some belligerent way. Look, I am not looking for a bunch of people with spiritual arrogance. That's not what God's looking for. But he's looking for people who truly, gently, kindly are not ashamed of the gospel that's alive in their spirits. And this is what Paul was encouraging them to believe. In some instances, the pressure to abandon this faith included physical harm. It included social rejection and even removal from a family. Can you imagine? And yet they needed this letter to remind them of Jesus' eternal salvation. Eternal, by the way. His total sovereignty and his imminent return. And to remind them that their eternal lives depended upon a steady and stable faith in him. Paul was already sure they were living the sanctified life of faith and that they were passionately pursuing Christ and his design and will for their lives. And, and men and women, that's what we've been talking about pretty much the whole week. That's what we hope you can experience and enjoy living it. But this is the thing. He also understood their humanity and their vulnerabilities. And that's why I, I honestly, in preparing for this week, and I'm thinking about preaching a sermon on prayer and I thought to myself, there's only one reason that must be happening. It's because you are experiencing some level of vulnerability to an attack in your life, and you need encouraged. And you need to be encouraged to pray, in believing about that. So he prays for them. Verse 5, may the Lord direct your hearts into God's love and Christ's perseverance. You see, the only way we'll be able to face powerful opposition in, to our faith, which is opposition that could be something like a cancer diagnosis to cause you to wonder or doubt, or the death of a loved one, or the mystery of an intentional mass shooting, as happened in my town a couple weeks ago, or the genocide that might take place from some desperate leader in some country somewhere, and you begin to wonder if God is even there, and especially when it really comes home and you're experiencing the pain of some broken relationship, and all of those things cause you to doubt and wonder. He's saying, I'm praying for you to persevere in the midst of it all. And, and sometimes we think these kind of threats to our faith were just a long time ago or they're far, far away. We think the democratic process or our constitutional freedoms that we enjoy will protect us 
from any harm or concern. Please understand, the Bible is clear. It will be increasingly difficult for people of faith as the return of Christ draws near. I, I don't know how well you watch world news. I, it, for some reason, I'm just a junkie on it, and, and probably because my daughter's very engaged in national and international news, so I always want to keep up with her. Um, but I don't know if you heard back in February in Finland, Finland, which is a European country, Finland. And in Finland, there, were two, there was a member of parliament, Pavi Rasanen and Lutheran bishop Juhana Pojola, and they were arrested and put in a courtroom facing up to two years in prison. And their crime? Expressing their religious views. Hear me now. Finland, expressing their religious views. They publicly and on social media declared the biblical position about LBGTQ issues. That's it. They only articulated what the Bible says about those issues. And because they posted those things, they were arrested for disseminating hate speech. Finland. You have to understand, what is the proper response? Defend yourself in court? Sure, and that's what they've done. But ultimately, you pray for powerful perseverance when the threats like this are real and increasing. Our spirits are under attack by a real enemy, and these Thessalonians fully understood that. And I'm not sure. This isn't judgment, I'm just wondering. I'm not sure that Western 21st century Christianity fully grasped this reality. The world is rapidly changing, including our local communities. And many educational leaders and teachers are becoming more and more hostile toward the faith and people of the faith expressing their beliefs in the public square. Now, thank the Lord, there are also many God-fearing, Bible-believing teachers and administrators in our school systems as well who are facing more and more pressure to bow the knee to cultural relevance. And so we all get it, but that's the point. We don't have to be afraid. You do not have to be afraid. We have the greatest weapon of all, prayer. This is the gift he's given. And yet so often it's the last thing we think about when we're facing trials and struggles. Even as our calling is to share Jesus' story and our story of receiving his grace, opposition will increase. So I've got a question for you. Are you praying in such a way that if the freedom to pray were taken away, you would be ready? Are you praying as if perhaps I won't have this privilege somehow, some way, or there'll at least be intense pressure to take it away from me? Author Phil Stone says it this way, talking about being ready for any opportunity that might come to you. He says, you can be ready or you can be sorry. I want to be ready. And that application works for our lives 
of faith, men and women. We can be so enamored with the latest fad, the latest toy or crisis or activity that we forget what, we, what and who we are living for and the moment we're anticipating will come. We can forget that each breath is given to us to bring glory and honor to God first and foremost in anticipation of his coming again. So first of all, I, I like to give you a practical response to this. Um, our church has become very motivated by this. And so on Tuesday nights at 7 o'clock, we have something we call the Global Prayer Experience. And you're welcome to join us every Tuesday, 7 o'clock on Zoom. When the pandemic hit, we started this prayer meeting, and we had so many people coming that we decided we're not going to quit doing it on Zoom. <laughs> You know, we know they're coming, and we've been adding, and we got, we got people in Russia, we got people in the Middle East if they wake up in the middle of the night. Uh, we got people in states all over the country who are coming together on Tuesday nights to pray for one thing, just one thing. Our focus is one thing in that prayer time, revival. Our personal revival, the revival of the church, and, the revi and a revival to sweep our communities. I'd love for you to come, southlandchurch.org. You can write that down or buy the CD and you'll hear it there or just come ask me. I'll tell you again, southlandchurch.org. There's a button right at the top. It's the very first thing. Put Zoom on your computer, go to southlandchurch.org, hit Global Prayer Experience, and there you go. You'll join us for that prayer meeting. We care and we believe that the only way revival can happen in our hearts and in our world is that God's people actually want it to happen. And they want, to ha want it to happen so much they're willing to pray for it. Oh, one more question. Do you believe a passionate prayer life matters? Do you believe a passionate prayer life matters for your life and my life? I hope you're praying for me at least sometime. I'm asking God to put my name in your mind every once in a while. The, your family, your friends, your your colleagues at work, do you believe a passionate prayer life matters? Well, if you do, then pray for powerful influence. Pray for powerful protection. And pray for powerful perseverance. We can pray to be ready when we are confronted with temptations, with challenges, distractions, and threats. We can pray to be ready believing worshiping, and serving Jesus until he returns. It's time to get serious, men and women, about following Christ. And the best place to be serious with him is on your knees or on your face or whatever posture you need in coming to him in prayer. Now, perhaps when we look at an altar call for you to pray about praying. And maybe tonight, it's just simply you responding by asking God to help you to want to pray more than anything else. That God would put within you a passionate desire for prayer. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for this example that you've given to us. This reminder from Paul and his words to the Thessalonians that this world is a difficult place to live for a Christ follower. 
And I pray you will help men and women tonight to recognize this tremendous gift that you've given. Awaken all of us. Help us to desire you and time with you more than anything else. And fill us with your powerful influence, your powerful protection, and your power to persevere. And we'll thank you for this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Come on, we're going to stand and worship him before we go. And as always, this altar is open. And maybe this is so important to you that you would come and kneel here and say, here I am, Lord, I'm laying myself down. Pour out upon me your spirit and increase my desire to pray with you. Let's sing together. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace turn your eyes upon jesus look full in his wonderful face and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace so jesus we pray from this body gathered here together tonight and those with us online we pray you would raise up a massive army of intercessors an army of prayer warriors people who recognize that this is our number one tool to influence the world for your glory. Turn us into prayers who care deeply, have great empathy, are concerned about the need of the world. And in doing so, Lord, we pray your name will be lifted up and everyone would be drawn to you. And it's in the wonderful saving name of Jesus we pray tonight. Amen. You go and you pray powerful prayers. God bless you.